Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 6. And we're going to start at verse verse 9, Matthew 6, verse 9. I'm going to continue speaking on the apostolic church. Specifically today, I want to just address building in the kingdom of God. And so we're, we're going to just open up. We've been reading this verse a lot when we have been talking on this subject, and so I figured let's just open up with it today. So Matthew, Matthew 6, verse 9 says, and in this manner, this is Jesus teaching the, the apostles how to pray. He says, pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And so one of the things that we have been establishing in this series is that God, God is the one that has called his church apostolic. And how do we know that? As the scriptures show us, even in Ephesians, that the foundation of the church, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, but it's built on the, the apostles and on the prophets. And when he established his first leadership team, if you will, who would be the ones who would birth the church. The church would be called, you know, Christians for the first time in Antioch, but these ones that were leading, establishing, and laying the truths that they had been imparted to and taught to from Jesus himself, he called them apostles. And he could have called them anything. He could have called them prophets. He could have called them kings. He could have called them a lot of different titles that they would have, in a way, according to their uh, Hebrew culture, understood, uh, but he brings something that was part of the culture of the day that possibly they would have known because the Greeks and the Romans had established something, uh, a fleet of ships or, or a group of people that would go and conquer land and they would call these people apostles. Uh, and the, what the apostles would do in warfare and, or in taking over countries or in taking over territories, they would go and they would, you know, take authority conquered the land. They wouldn't kill all the people. They would keep the people and they would culturize the people so that when the Caesar would come, when the king would come to the land, that they would feel at home, not just in the culture, but even in the buildings and the way they did things in, in so much parts of life. And so when Jesus establishes the early church, um, we see that he builds them on the foundations of the apostles and on the prophets. And so I want to just take a, a little time in connecting connecting those two in a moment, but I want to highlight that this reality comes from God. So it's not just that we want to be apostolic. He calls us to be apostolic because he set our foundations as apostolic. And so then we have to ask the question, well, what does that mean? And when we're leading a church or we're members of a church or we're Christians and we're looking to help, you know, answer the call of the Great Commission, answer the invitation of the Lord to do the greater works than these, we want to make sure that we're building and we're establishing things off of the original. If you remember, I told you a story 
of a pastor who was building a church and he had a contractor and he was super excited to build and bugged the contractor over and over again and said to the guy, just give me something to do. And so he finally gives him something to do. You know, I got 102 by fours, cut them six foot length, takes out the, the, the ruler, measures six foot, marks it on the board, puts it on the saw, cuts it. And then instead of taking the ruler back out again, he takes the, the piece he just cut, marks the next board, cuts that board. And then instead of even taking the first board, he just takes the one he recently cut and keeps using the most recent board as the next measuring line on that new two by four. And by the time he's well into it, how many of you know that he's got one board six foot length and they're going all the way up to seven foot length, eight foot length, because you have to continue to measure. You can't measure off the previous, you have to measure off of the original. And when you always measure off of the previous, then you're always gonna get a little bit off of the original. And when we're building things in the kingdom of God, it is really amazing to put value on the pastors, on the leaders, on the churches that have gone before us, but we cannot just honor that the ones that have, are just recently before us or are with us right now. We have to also go back to the original. We have to see how the foundations were first laid and then incorporate that into our model. Yes, we can take the victories and we can learn of the defeats of our fathers and our grandfathers and incorporate that into our model, but we must do that also with the original in that Jesus laid the foundations of the church in the New Testament, and that's why we're taking time and going after this. And so um, we see this practically playing out in churches um, in that even today that there are apostles, there are leaders, there are prophets that, it, that are functioning in their office gifts, and we as churches and ministries, we do align ourselves. We do have relationship, and we do look for the fivefold ministry to be active in our midst because this is something that the Lord himself established. And again, not our idea, his idea. So if it's his idea, we have to adjust our ideas to match his ideas. And if our heads or if our, if our foundation is on Christ, is on the apostolic and the prophetic, then we are, we are establishing a healthy foundation in that the Lord himself had established. And the one thing I also want to point out, in Romans 1, as well as many other areas, we see Paul in the beginning of, the le- of his letters. He kind of greets the people, but even before he says, hey, I'm an apostle, though he does say that because he wants them to know this is something that the Lord has called me to, but he does something else. He also calls himself a bondservant or a servant of Christ, even before he calls himself an apostle. Also establishing something for us, a model in the early church that Jesus also did in that before we are our title, we are followers of Christ. Meaning that our identity, and this is important for us, especially, you know, this is the fifth week that I'm taking it. I don't want us to become, you know, our identity becomes in the gift or in the apostolic or in the prophetic. No, that's a gifting. Our identity needs to remain in him being a servant to Christ. It's why we took the first two weeks and to lay out the characteristics, Christ-like character, and putting him first. So one of the things Paul does, leader over many churches, you know, one of probably, one of the, definitely not probably, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament opens up saying, the thing I am most of all is a servant. And he knows, where did he get that model? He got that model from Jesus himself. And to be leaders, both in the church or outside of the church, to be leaders in business, to be leaders in government, to be leaders in education, to be leaders in the church, as Christians, we know the the thing that will bring us the greatest favor from God 
and from men is if we come in humbly as a servant to all. That doesn't mean we diminish the gift that's upon us. We're not, you know, entering into false humility. We're just walking in right identity. And the higher we go in authority, the more servanthood we must display. Okay? So I just want to, I wanted to say that first and kind of like nail it in to our hearts, to our minds. You know, I had a dream, I, however many years ago, we were on a mission trip, I had a dream, and we were ministering to a church, we were in Germany at the time, and we were going to go minister to a church, and I had a dream, I woke up in the morning, wrote it down, and in the dream, we were outside uh, of the building that we were going to go in, we were at picnic tables, we were eating, the leaders were there, and uh, the Lord had given us all like these toolboxes, and it was a a bunch of different tools that were in the toolboxes and we were going to go into the church and we were going to minister and we were going to hand out tools. But in the dream, the Lord said, but you need to give them the hammer first because it's the hammer that nails in the love, that drives love in first. And before they can get into all these other things, they need to love first. And so I woke up from the dream and, and we did a bunch of different stuff for the church, but the one thing that the Lord was speaking to me in the moment is as leaders, even as ministers, and again, this is in the church, this is in the marketplace, we have to come in with servanthood, but we also have to come in with love. And these are foundational things, and we see in Corinthians that if we function in our giftings, in our callings, meaning you could be excellent at church, an excellent pastor, excellent leader, you can be excellent in the business world, excellent in the educational world, because you're gifted and you know what you do really well, but if you don't do it with love, then you're building in vain. Then what you're building will actually burn away. And if you're not doing it in love, you're not building the kingdom. And as Christians, when we're called to build, we're called to build the kingdom of God. We're not building our own ministry. We can, we could build our own businesses and build our own ministries and build our own schools and do these things because we're gifted. But then we just know that the scriptures tells us that in that day, all of that burns away. And it's a sobering reminder, my life is not my own. Everything we do, everything we're building is for him. Why? To make him famous and to release the kingdom of God into this world so that men and women would know, not just through our testimony, not just through our preaching, but through our action and through our building and through our gifting, that we live our lives in such a way that it testifies of him and that draws all men unto him. And so one of the things that is foundational for an apostolic community is that we also work with the prophetic. I'm not going to spend a ton of time, ton of time on that today because we have talked about it a lot, and also we have a whole prophetic class. You can go to that. But as a, an apostolic people, we do need the prophetic in order to function in the fullness of, of the anointing of God. You know, sometimes God does assign us or give us assignments that seem and are impossible for us without the prophetic word of the Lord. And what I mean by that is the prophetic is not just the telling of what is to come. It's not just foretelling, but it's also forthtelling, meaning there are certain things that will not happen until someone speaks it out. The father in the beginning of creation always intended to have sons. Always intended to have children, but it wasn't until he spoke the word that we were then created. It wasn't just the fact that he knew it was in his future. He spoke it out. It's how he established even 
the beginning of time. And so with us, in partnering with the prophetic, there are certain things God calls us to that are impossible, but then he gives us a prophetic word, or maybe it's a prophetic confirmation, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's from someone else, maybe a prophet, maybe a friend, maybe someone you know, is reading scripture and, and you pop into their mind and they bring a word to you or they share something that the Lord has revealed to them and it confirms something that the Lord's called you to, but you might have been wrestling with that call for a year or that assignment for a year, but in the moment you get the prophetic word, all of a sudden now the grace now accompanies the call and causes that word and that assignment to no longer be impossible. Does that make sense? And so there's something about the prophetic partnering with the apostolic, partnering with the vision that God has given us that actually opens up doors and causes things to happen. And the prophetic can confirm what is on the heart of the apostolic people. And things that are life-changing and provide direction in us will then have power as the prophetic word comes forth. And this is for the church, and this is also for the marketplace. As an apostolic believer, as a believing believer in whatever sphere that you are in, there is a partnership that the Lord invites you to in inviting the apostolic anointing, you know, what's happening in heaven. Why did we read Matthew 6? It's the our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Saying, okay, Lord, what exists in heaven and how can I have it come into the things that are right in front of me? And it's also inviting of the prophetic anointing. It's the Apostle Paul said, above all other things, desire earnestly that you would prophesy. Because he understood that there is a partnership in creation, even with the prophetic, that causes things to happen. And we'll develop this a little bit more. But the apostolic church, we are a revelatory people, meaning we receive revelation from God. You all have the ability to hear and to see and to feel. You have it in the natural and you have it in the spiritual. One of the most common things that, we, uh, that I've worked with, with young Christians or Christians that are maybe new to this type of uh, belief is, well, how do I hear the voice of God? Well, I, I want to live out my destiny. I want to do this. How do I know? How? It's just the question like, how do I hear God? How do I see God? How do I understand? How do I get revelation? And we, we, we make it into this high pressure situation. And many times we'll just kind of come in and I'll say, let's just slow it down. Let's close our eyes. Let's ask the Lord. You know, we're going to practice hearing God. And just like any other gift, if you were gifted at baseball when you were younger and you could naturally have, you naturally had hand-eye coordination, you could hit a ball, you could throw a ball, great, you're going to the World Series. But if you never practice that, you're not going anywhere. Just because you're naturally born with a gift, if you don't do something with the gift, the gift won't open doors for you. You could be naturally good with numbers, but if you don't actually develop that gift, then you're not going to become that CPA. You're not going to become that, that CFO, right? If you're naturally good with children, you're probably still going to want to learn on how to raise kids because you're still going to have pitfalls in parenting, even though maybe as a young person, you're naturally good with children. As a parent, there is growing and there is an equipment. There's a practicing that comes with parenting. That's why I got, pray for your, the firstborns, right? <laughs> We're practicing on them. Um, God bless all you firstborns. I'm not a firstborn, so Jeff had all the practice. All right. Anyway, all that to say, when we're dealing with 
people that are coming in and saying, okay, how do I hear? Well, just say, okay, let's pray for something, whatever it is. Let's pray for our neighbor. Let's close our eyes and let's just say, Lord, what do you want to say about them? And the thing, the very first thing that comes to your mind, I would share that thing. I've learned my history with God that we have this unconscious thing in the back of our head that says, um, that might be God, but it's probably me. And what I've learned is to switch that around and start saying, well, that might be me, but it's probably God. And approaching hearing God in that way has given me freedom to take risks and actually find God on the other side of it. Meaning just naturally assuming, because the scripture tells us I can hear, that if I hear something, it's him. And I have the right to assume that because I have the ability to hear. And you have the ability to hear. Again, not because of what I've done or my history or what I've been through, but because I'm a son of God. And because you're a son and you're a daughter, you have the ability to hear. You don't have to earn it. It's a gift. And it's not a gift you have to ask for. It's a gift you received at the moment of salvation. Now, we're not talking about extra biblical revelation. We're not getting new scriptures. The canon of the Bible is closed. However, we're asking the Lord for revelation. Sometimes it's a rhema word, meaning just a word for today, a now word, because we're looking for specific direct direction of the present or the future of what the Lord wants to do. And this is a way that we're partnering, even with the prophetic anointing, asking God, where, where do you want to take us? Again, sometimes he speaks to us directly. Sometimes he speaks indirectly. That looks like from another person. But often it also looks like you're reading the same scripture that you've maybe read a couple times in your life. Now all of a sudden, something different is popping off of the pages. All of a sudden, that which you didn't understand, you understand. Or maybe you're reading something in the Bible and you just start to get emotional and you start to cry. The Lord is probably speaking to you in that moment. You know, there's all of these realities that we kind of just run by because no one has actually discipled us into how to hear God for ourselves. And so we have this mandate as a church to establish the foundations as apostolic and prophetic in, in hearing, seeing, and setting vision from what we hear and we see. And again, it's not just from the spoken word of God, but even from the logos, the written word of God, that we would get revelation from it, that we would get, uh, seek to gain understanding, knowledge, experience from reading the word of God. And why is this important for the apostolic to be in connection with the prophetic? Because we don't just want to cast vision and keep building without hearing. The apostolic without the prophetic is a factory with high production but no heart meaning we produce workers. But the prophetic without the apostolic is a community that have hearts that are alive, but there's no direction and nothing to produce. When you have both coming in together, you have hearts that are alive and you have vision to run with. So when they come together, you create life in the kingdom of God. And so it's super important. We don't just want to just constantly encourage one another without vision. We want to have vision of, well, where are we going? What has the Lord called us to? And then that gives us purpose. And we have clear vision for all of Christianity in the scripture in the Great Commission. 
Go into all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. We have this, if you will, corporate vision that he's given all of us. And then we can kind of prophesy and, and have hearts according to that. But there are specific visions, things that he's called individuals to. I think New York, the church of New York City is probably called to something very different than the church in Kansas City or the church in Singapore or the church in India, right? So we have this broad vision that we see in scripture, but then there's individual vision. There's unique vision. There's regional vision that, I mean, if you want to break it down too, in New York City, there's probably, we definitely have a different vision than maybe a church on the other side of town, right? The other, another borough or another area, even in Manhattan. And it doesn't mean that our vision's right and their vision's wrong. The Lord does give individual assignments. And so it's really important that we hear and seek the Lord and what he's called us to do, okay? All right, and then specifically in talking about building the kingdom of God. When we are functioning in the apostolic anointing, there is something that happens that even happened to the life of Jesus and that happened to the life of the, of the apostles. When you're functioning in the apostolic anointing, meaning aware of the Father, aware of heaven, it actually attracts people. When a church is functioning in the apostolic anointing, it attracts people. Why? Because there's something on us, there's something on you that's revealing of the Father. And when we are revealing the Father, it draws, he draws people in naturally. You know, Romans 12, it talks about the gifts of motivation, right? It talks about a bunch of different things. We're not going to list them all today, but one of them is leadership. That there's actually a gift of leadership that can come upon you. And it's, again, it's, yes, something, you can learn skills, you can learn practicals in leadership, but there is a spiritual gift from God for leadership that comes upon you that is a gift of grace. And when we're stepping in the apostolic and we're, and we're coming up as leaders, there is a natural attraction that happens that people get drawn to us because we have something they don't have. We have something from heaven. We have something from the Father. And as a leader, I pray that God will send me other leaders because I don't want to be the only leader. I don't want to be the only one in charge or the only one that has the microphone or the only one on the stage. We can bring this in the business world too. As, as apostolic, as Christian leaders, we don't want to be the only leaders in the room. You know, outside of the gospel or outside of the kingdom of God, sometimes the insecurities of leaders mean I only want people on my team that are as good as me or just slightly below because then they'll replace me. But what we understand in the kingdom is, no, my ceiling should be their floor. There isn't a jealousy issue. There isn't a, I'm going to stifle you because I need to be the one that shines bright, which is a very real reality in the business world, right? You don't often find leaders that will push other people ahead of them. You have leaders that will bring you in, managers, supervisors, CEOs that will bring you in to serve their vision, and they want you to serve their vision uh, until they're done with you, and then they'll get the next person, right? But in the kingdom of God, we kind of turn that upside down. You know, the, there is no, you know, working up the ladder in the kingdom. There is no this thing like, well, I'm called to ministry. I use ministry as an example because this is what I'm in. But I'm called to ministry, so I'm going to start off as a children's pastor, and then I'm going to work my way to youth, and then I'm going to work my way to young adults, and then maybe I'll be a associate, and then I'm going to get a soapiate. Yeah, <laughs> it's a new form of pastor. I'll tell you about it later. 
associate and then senior, right? And then it's like this thing where I want to graduate because I want that senior position. But the reality is that's not how it works. Sometimes the Lord, if I'm hiring a children's pastor, I want to hire someone who they're called to children's ministry and they're going to do it for the next 30 years. I don't, I'm not looking for someone that wants to work their way up the corporate ladder, which is how we've learned it in, in West, the Western world. But finding people who are called to a specific thing, and, and that means I don't necessarily need to be good as the leader. I don't need to be good or extremely excellent at being a children's pastor because I'm going to hire someone that's way better than I am. And as leaders in the kingdom, we are looking for people that cover our weaknesses, that are not just as good as we are, but way better than us in areas where we are weak. And by doing that, we're actually having to have high levels of trust in the spheres that we're bringing in leaders like that, because now you're actually better than me, and I'm okay with that. In fact, not only am I okay with that, it's what I'm desiring, and it's what I'm looking for. And then what happens when you begin to step into the apostolic and you draw in leaders, and not just any leaders, leaders that are actually more gifted than you and better than you in certain areas, that when there is a project or an assignment or something going on where now we're going to focus on this area that I know I'm weak in, but I know they're strong in, so then what I'm going to do is on a normal day when they are laying down their vision to follow my vision, well, we're not going to do that now. Now I'm going to find out what's the vision on your heart for this because you're way better at this than I am. So I'm going to come up behind you. Even though I'm over you, I'm going to come up behind you and I'm going to elevate you because there's a high level of trust and authority that we've established in the apostolic. It's creating safe places for people to grow. It's creating safe places for people to take risks where we're not afraid of your mess. We're not afraid of your mistakes. In fact, we're looking for those because those are growing experiences. And then you don't have to hide behind your weakness because I've already exposed mine. I'm hiring you or I'm bringing you on this team because I'm not good at this and I need your help. How many times have we had a, a senior leader or, or a supervisor or a boss come? I mean, we don't often hear that language. They might do it because they know they need it, but they may not communicate that. But to come in with vulnerability, to come in humbly and say, this is what we're doing. And, and the reason I'm bringing you on is because you think different than me. You don't just always agree with me. As leaders, we're not just looking for amens. We're not just looking for yes men or yes women. We actually want people that will come in and think different than us. Because if I have 10 people on my leadership team that think the same way that I do, that have the same strengths that I do, then you better believe they probably have the same weaknesses and the same blind spots. And then we're going to keep hitting the same icebergs as a team. I bring people in that are, are diverse, that are different, and that can play to my insecurity and I can feel like I need to now enter into control and, or I need to diminish them or I can lean in and know this is the way of the kingdom. Some are the head, some are the arms, some are the feet, some are the hand and we need every part of the body and creating room of diversity of generations, of ethnicities, of giftings, of callings and of passions. And that's how you build the kingdom. That's how you make this look like heaven. And as leaders, we are discipling. We are raising people up. That means, like I said before, our ceiling should be their, for, their floor. And what does that look like? It looks like you don't have to fight for every breakthrough that I fought for. 
when you're, if, if just for lack of better terms, but when you step into or under my anointing, you get to function in that breakthrough because I've already fought and broke through in those areas. Now, there might be a day that you might have to do it for yourself, but as long as you're with me, you get to function in the grace of that gift and that breakthrough because you're coming alongside me. And when you honor a leader long enough or you honor a CEO long enough or you honor your supervisor long enough, the very breakthroughs and the giftings that are on their life will become the breakthroughs and the giftings that are on your life because that's what honor does. It opens the door of favor for you to not have to fight a battle that was already fought and won. And then as a leader, the other way around, if I want to set up the next generation well, I need to disciple and bring people into that so that we can actually push forward and not keep going along the hamster wheel as a church and as the kingdom of God. You know, not all leaders are apostolic, but all who are apostolic are leaders. And I say that because I, I, I believe that everyone in this room is a leader in one way, shape, or form. I believe that the church, if you're looking at the prophetic words, that we will see a harvest, billion soul harvest. We're going to see multitudes come into the kingdom of God. Well, if multitudes are coming in, then we need larger leadership teams. We need more churches. We need more ministers. We need more people equipped to disciple and to raise people up. And so in a way, you know, even when I'm teaching, I'm teaching to you guys and I'm not looking at you guys as just, you know, regular average Joes in a room. I'm looking at you guys as leaders. You guys are leaders. The Lord's raising you up as leaders. He's giving you something to say. He's giving you something to do. He's assigning you with things. He's giving you revelation. And he wants to instill high levels of trust with you to the things that he's called you to. Romans 1, again, Paul says, we are bondservants of Jesus, called to be apostles. So when you come in, just remember, well, Pastor Rich said I'm a leader. Yes, you're a leader, and you're a bondservant to Christ. You come in humbly. You come in with humility. But you also come in with confidence of the gift that he's given you. Leadership doesn't mean we have to apologize for what we're good at. We come in humbly, but we come with confidence. All right. One of the other ways that we build the kingdom of God in establishing the structure is we align ourselves. I said this probably the second time, but the church, we, we're not to meant, to, meant to be a people that are isolated. We're not, a meant, we're not meant to be independent in nature. Now, we are able to do things on our own because we are gifted and skilled. However, we choose to do things in community and we choose to do things in relationship. And that looks like multiple different things. Picture it like a family. And why a family? Because in many ways, you know, we, well, not in many ways, you don't get to choose your family, right? You have who you have. And in many ways in the church, we try to leave the family model and we try to align ourselves with the people who we think we should align ourselves. Without realizing that probably the place that you're in, where God has put you, is the place where he wants to align you. 
and we come into maybe a desire or vision or a thing that we think should happen, and because it's not happening right now in the place they're in, we start to look for another place where it's happening. And that's okay if we want to glean and we want to learn, but if we treat our life that way, we will find ourselves in a different church and in a different community every few years, and we'll never actually grow because we've never planted ourselves. But the Lord is looking for a generation that will actually root themselves and plant themselves and align themselves to the leadership of a house that they've been a part of for 10, 20 years, for generations, to raise our kids up in a place like that, in a community like that. And it's not just church, but even friends, even family. There is an investment of choosing to align ourselves. And what does that alignment mean? Alignment means having someone in my life, Bill, Sal, the Whites, the Vincentis, they're leaders in my life. Why? Because I'm in this church. So they're leaders in my life. So then what does that mean for me? I'm practically a pastor here. I'm going to choose to align myself with what is on their heart. Meaning I'm going to try to get as much of their heart into my heart. And for us practically, both in family, in, in work, in ministry, alignment looks like the hearts being connected. It's the Psalms 133. That's the model of alignment. It's unity. It's Aaron, who is actually a high priest, and a high priest is a form of apostle in the Old Testament. It's Aaron who has the oil dripping down his beard. It's this picture of when brethren are dwelling together in unity, this is the apostolic anointing flowing well. It's the hearts being connected. It's that we know one another, one another. We're aligned with one another. We don't have to agree with everything, but we're committed to be in relationship. We're committed to be in community. I'm opening the door for you to speak into my life, and you're opening the door for me to speak into your life. We're doing the iron sharpens iron. We're doing the discipleship. We're making sure that we align ourselves with people that feel bigger than us, that maybe are, are above us as a leader, as a spiritual mother, as a spiritual father. We're aligning with people that are peers, that are friends, that we're going to challenge one another. And we're also aligning ourselves with disciples, people that, that we feel bigger than them and we're going to pour into. And that doesn't just happen organically. It doesn't. Even in family, that doesn't just happen organically. The alignment of the heart only happens with intentional relationship. As a father, as a mother, I have my kids. They're in my house. But if I am not intentionally aligning my heart with their heart and their hearts with my heart, then there won't be unity in my household. It's something we choose to do. It's not just something that happens. And so even in the family of God, that is something we have to on purpose wake up, make appointments, go out to coffee, go out to lunch, do whatever we need to do to develop relationships and the different levels that I'd mentioned and make sure that there is alignment in my life. Why do I need to do that? So that when I go through a hard time, when I go through a struggle, when I go through a fall, when I'm having the dark night of the soul, then I can get around the people who I've been aligned with, both the people that are above me, the people that are next to me, and honestly, even the spiritual children and say, hey, this is what's going on. And then they can remind me of who I am. And they can call me back in and push me forward. I think this is a really uncomfortable topic for people because most of us, I don't, if we were completely honest, I don't know if we're completely known. 
I don't know if, if everyone completely knows who we are. We, we know how to do stuff together. We know how to do a project together. We know how to do an assignment together. We know how to serve together. We could, you know, whatever. Watch something. We can do something of enjoyment. But do you know what's on my heart? And do I know what's on your heart? Do I know what the Lord said about you? Do you know what the Lord said about me? Do you know what I'm called to? Do I know what you're called to? Do you know what I'm afraid of? And do you know what excites me? Do we have the real conversations? And now, you're not going to do this with 100 people. Jesus was the model. He had the Father, obviously, who he was aligned to. But in the natural, he had the 12 who he aligned himself with. He aligned himself to his natural mother. So much so that when she told him to do something he didn't want to do, he did it anyway. Right? He did it anyway. Why? Because he was aligned with her. His heart was in submission to her. He had the 70 or the 72. He had this model of what it looked like to be in community and in relationship. Now, for you, it may not be 12 Maybe it's six. Maybe it's 20. I don't know what we have capacity for. We all have different capacity, right? But it's looking like who's the people, you know, of the 12, he had the three. He had the, the, the Peter, help me, James and John, the Peter, James, and John that were, you know, and then I think John would argue that he was the one that put his head on his bosom, right? <laughs> the one that Jesus loved, right? I don't know. We'll talk about that with the Lord when we get up there. Does that exist in our life? And it's okay if it doesn't. It didn't for me like four or five years ago. And I had to go on a journey, and I'm still on the journey, of developing alignment of relationships in my life, both healthy spiritual covering, relationship with friends, and discipling people, having people that are under me. I didn't do it for my whole Christian life, and I didn't, wasn't even aware of it until I was in my late 20s. But... The Lord invited me to go after it. And I, I realized the reason I wasn't doing this is because I was afraid. I was afraid to be seen, not just because of my weakness. I was afraid to share my dreams. I was afraid to share the things that, that I desired and that I wanted to do. So I encourage you guys, journey this with the Lord. Who are you aligned with? Are you walking in that Psalms 133? I think sometimes we think the Psalms 133, it's for the prayer meeting, right? We come together in unity so we can get the answer to the prayer. It, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the Christian walk. So if we find ourselves in major challenges, we can have those connections where that person or persons, they're willing to come and help us. And they're not afraid of our messes. All right. All right, let's do this. I have six more points. We'll save it for next time. But I, I want to do this. One, if the worship team can come on up. I want to talk about one last thing as they're coming up. This, let me read this verse first. In Acts 1, in fact, in all of the Gospels, at the end of the Gospel, he ends it with the Great Commission. And he opens Acts with the Great Commission. And he says this, start in verse 8, Acts 1. 
And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I, I was reading this a couple months, maybe almost a year ago now, I was reading this scripture, and this word witnesses jumped out at me. Now, um, for me, I kept looking at that or approaching it as like, all right, yeah, you're, you're sharing an account of what happened, right? But then I, the Lord was like, think of it like a courtroom. And so I started thinking of it like a courtroom. And when they call up witnesses of whatever, you know, a crime that happened, and they're coming in, and maybe there's four witnesses. Each of those witnesses, they're going to have a different account of the same situation. And he's saying, the Spirit's going to come upon us, and you shall be witnesses to me. And the other thing that was revealed in that moment, you know, Jesus never asked us to do anything that he didn't do himself. And so he was the first witness. Who was he a witness of? The Father. It says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But why? Because he's seen the Father. And he knew the Father. And he knew the ways of the Father. And then he turns around and he gives us this great commission. But one of the things he attaches it to is the Spirit's going to come upon us so that we would be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're called to represent him. So then it could be said of us that if when the world sees us, they should see him. And if they see him, they'll see the Father. But the disciples asked him, and his response was, you want to know the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as the Christian... There is this invitation to see him. To have eyes to see. To have ears to hear. To have a heart that feels. You know, Solomon, when he was coming on the scene, he could have asked the Lord for anything. But he asked the Lord for a hearing heart. And it says that he, the Lord gave him a hearing heart and gave him wisdom. And there's so many verses where we can talk about you know, how the wisdom of God is just complete opposite. It's foolishness in the eyes of man. But one of the things that is wisdom is asking the Lord to open up our eyes and open up our ears to hear and to see. I prayed often when we're in prayer meetings. I prayed over myself. There's something about the asking, open up my eyes, open up my ears. I think it's what produced for John, right? John in Revelation 1 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And suddenly, he didn't say and suddenly the heavens opened. He was already walking in an open heaven. He says, and then suddenly a door was standing open in the heavens. What did it look like? I mean, let's not even, we're not going to go into John's revelation of what, what he saw through the door. The point I'm making is he was in the spirit on, on the Lord's day and he was seeing into heaven. Now I know that can sound weird, but this is our reality. There is a heavenly realm that in many ways is more real than the chair that you're sitting in. And you have access to it. Not only do you have access to it, 
But the Bible tells us that we were crucified with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. And then we were seated in heavenly places with him. Meaning you have a seat in the heavenly places. So if you have a seat there, that means you have access and permission to go there. And now is that going to look like you're going to be sitting in a chair and all of a sudden you're in another room? I don't know, maybe, but probably. And usually what I've seen is this ability to hear, to see. Maybe it's just seeing in your mind's eye or hearing with, with, with the ear of your heart. You know, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I've never had an open vision. I've never had a visitation where I've been taken up to heaven, but I have seen him in my heart. I have heard his voice countless times in my heart, the ear of my heart. I have felt him more times than I can count. And that feeling, it's, it's different every time, right? I could be in a meeting and I walked in and all of a sudden I feel peaceful or all of a sudden I feel restful or all of a sudden I feel joy or I feel a heat or whatever. And many of us have experienced that. And what I am challenging you with is to take those experiences and lean in. Maybe you've never had something like that. Okay, well, like I said at the beginning of the message, it's the ask and the first thing that comes to mind. It's probably him. Write it down. But I believe... I don't remember if it's Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 3, but this prayer, Lord, open up the eyes of my heart, open up the eyes of my understanding, is a key to giving us the Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If he's assigned us to bring heaven to earth, then we need to take the authority and the invitation that we have to access heaven and put it into practice. As an apostolic people, we're called to build the kingdom of God. But to do that, we need to make sure that our ears are unclogged, our eyes are cleared up, our heart is cleared up so that our senses are awakened so we can have experiences like John. I used to pray and have prayed still to this day, God, if I, could, if I could see what John saw, then I can live as he lived. If I can see what Peter saw, if I can see what Paul saw, then I can live as they lived. And the Lord spoke to me. He's like, Rich, you have the same access that they have to me. And I say to you guys today, You have access, not because you've earned it, because it's a gift. The ear to hear, it's a gift. The eye to see, it's a gift. The heart to feel, to know, the mind of Christ, it is a gift. And I love how Chris Valentin put it. You know, God has these gifts to give out, just like airdrop. And I can airdrop you guys anything. I can airdrop you a photo, but unless you hit accept, it's never going to come up on your phone. Why don't you guys stand with me? This is foundational Christianity. 
This is a beginning for some of you of a whole new life and journey with the Lord. And I'm simply going to pray and ask the Lord to release grace in this room to hear, to see, to feel. And I think often to myself, what would happen if we had just a hundred people who were confident in accessing heaven? I think you could turn the whole financial district upside down. Father, we we recognize your presence in this room even now. read this prayer over us. Paul was praying over the church of Ephesus. Just put your hands out. Just receive this prayer from the scripture today. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, being opened up, being revealed, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places Father I pray that you'd open up the eyes of our understanding Would you open up the eyes of our heart? Would you open up the ears of our heart? That we would enter in to your power. That we would enter in to the hope of which you've called us to. That we would know your glory, which is us. And even now, Lord, Holy Spirit, let grace fall like rain all across this room. Front to back, left to right. Come and fill from the top of the head to the soles of their feet. Come and fill. 
Would you release the grace gifts today? An ear to hear, an eye to see, a heart to feel, a mind that knows. Would you teach us the ways of heaven? Would you teach us your ways, God? Yeah, just take 60 seconds. Just lean in. See the Holy Spirit filling many of you right now. Increase, Lord. you're here in the room and you just you feel the presence of the Lord on you I do want to invite you to come to the front or maybe you're in the room and you just want to respond you want prayer you're saying Lord I want that ear to hear I want my senses to be opened up I just want to invite you to come to the front we're going to go into worship and we're going to minister to you guys so if, come on up I know many of you you're still speaking to the Lord continue to do that but we want to pray for anyone who's feeling a tangible presence of the Lord. For anyone that even wants to respond. Say, I, I need that. I want to hear. I want to see. I want access to heaven. We want to minister to you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.